Good morning, everyone. My name is Trent Walker. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm the person that you see most often on a Sunday morning here. Um, those of you joining us on, uh, most often on a Sunday morning preaching, um, those of you joining us online or on the phone, welcome. And I want to give, where's Miss Mary? You're back. It's good to see you. She's, she's not all the way back, but she's, she's here. So really good to see you. Glad you're doing better. Uh, if you didn't know, Mary had pneumonia in one of her lungs, and it just, it just knocked her out for a while. So, so glad to see you here. Um, we are in the second week of a series for the summer in the book of Hebrews. And um, I told you last week that it, historically this book is attributed to Paul, um, as one of his epistles. And I was just talking to Jeff Motman this morning, and he's reading through the Belgic Confession, which is not light reading, by the way. Um, but they attribute, and the Belgic Confession is very old, but they attribute this, this, uh, this book to Paul. Um, so that is historically how we've kind of placed it. But academically speaking, people, by reading the language, by seeing how it's done, this is, Paul did not write as sermons. He wrote as letters. And this is a sermon. Um, and last week we talked a little bit about the background. I won't go into that again, but I do want to highlight one thing today. Uh, the last verse in the first chapter, we're in chapter two today, says this, and we're not, it's not going to be on your screen yet. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's kind of a segue into chapter two. Um, just to give you a little background on why, why does he concentrate so much on the angels? I mean, chapter one, he's really talking about the divinity of Christ. Chapter two, he's talking about the humanity of Christ. Why did Jesus need to be, why did the son need to become Jesus and then subject himself to the ways of the world? Um, but why, why all the talk about angels? I mean, in our culture, um, even the Christian culture, we wouldn't be thinking angels are all that. I mean, we, we can get kind of excited about them and that kind of thing, but we never think of angels as on par with God. So here's what was going on in what's known as Second Temple Judaism, which just means first temple, the temple was destroyed, Solomon's temple was destroyed, it was rebuilt after, the, after Babylon and all of that. Um, in that intertestamental time, that 400 years where it seems that God was silent, one of the things that gave the theologians of the time comfort, and they ended up preaching on it, was that they have the prophets, yes, God spoke directly through the prophets, but so much of what they had, so much of what they could count on, was delivered to them or spoken to them by angels. So it gave them a sense of spiritual authority that God would choose his messengers to speak directly to his people. That's comforting. But the author of Hebrews is saying, look, you're, you're, spending, you're spending an inordinate amount of time talking about, and they're not worshiping, but they're getting close to worshiping angels. So he wants to clear that up. That's where the first part of chapter two is. And then he really starts speaking to why why God in the form, of, why the Son, so Father, Son, and Spirit, why the Son, the second person of the Trinity, co-eternal, no beginning, no end, but when he became Jesus, what happens? And there's one line in here that said that he was, that the, the, the Son was made, or that Jesus was made perfect through suffering. And I just want to tell you, I've done the Greek work on this. It, it, it doesn't work well in English because it sounds like Jesus wasn't perfect and then through suffering he was made perfect. Not what the Greek is saying, very difficult to translate, so I'm going to tell you in advance. It, 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 basically, he's saying that God decided, the Father decided to receive his offering of suffering 
as something more than adequate, as completely, uh, uh, it was complete. And it provided atonement, which is making us right with God. So when you hear that, it starts to sound like the author of Hebrews doesn't think that Jesus was perfect. Not what he's saying. But man, it's a confusing sentence in Greek. Let's pray, and then we'll talk through this, and um, uh, we'll just highlight, there'll be kind of big surprise that a preacher would have three things. We're going to kind of highlight three different areas of the chapter, uh, chapter two of Hebrews. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of that portrait of you today. It's just, just a reminder that we see you in each other, that we are image bearers and cross carriers and witnesses to who you are and what you've done. We're going to talk about that. We thank you for the author of Hebrews that he was writing to clarify not only the divinity of Christ, but the humanity of Christ. And we pray that, that you give us only what you want us to have, that you tell us only what you want us to hear, and that you show us only what you want us to see. And Lord, if there's something I have planned, or if there's some study I've done, and, 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 and the things are not true, then I would ask that you convict me of them, wipe them from my memory during the message so that your people only hear what you want them to hear today. Stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts, speak with my mouth, so that this is your message for us, not my message for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So back to chapter one, not, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Keep in mind that, that the, the biblical cosmology, right? You've got, you've got the heavens, and then you've got the earth, and kind of in between, so a little lower than the heavens, a little higher than the earth, you have the angelic and the demonic realm. So when, when the author speaks of, he made him a little lower than the angels, he's saying he became earthbound, he became human, he became all that humanity is. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed by those who heard him, God also, and was confirmed by those who heard him. God also testifies to it by signs and wonders and various miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, and this is from the Psalms, what is man that you, God, are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering." Both the, one who make, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy 
are, this, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my, brother, or to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praise. So he's saying to the Father, I will declare your name to the people. And as one of the people, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Okay, a couple of things. One, there's this, there's this, not a strange line, but it says God, uh, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy. So who, both the one who sanctifies and the ones being sanctified. So Jesus loves us just the way we are, and he refuses to leave us that way. The, the, the process by which he refuses to leave us that way, we call sanctification. To be sanctified, to be fully sanctified, is to be made holy like God. In fact, we're told in the scriptures that be, that be holy as God is holy. That is an impossible feat for a human being that isn't also divine. We've seen it since the very beginning, since the fall. We saw it when everyone rebelled and God had to bring the flood. We saw it at the Tower of Babel when God scrambled the languages and sent us all over the world. We, we left to our own devices we go toward wickedness. We don't go toward holiness. And God is very much, very well aware of this. He's not surprised by this. Nothing, nothing shocks God. Um, doesn't mean that he's pleased with everything, but this, nothing that happens in your life or mine, nothing that's happened in history is a surprise to God. There's no time when Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are sitting around the breakfast table in heaven. I don't think there is one, but you know what I mean? Um, and go, what are, what are we, what are we, what are we going to do? It does not happen because we're told right here that everything is brought under Christ. Everything, that God made it so that everything, he did not leave anything out. And historically, different groups of Christians, and I put that in quotes because they call themselves Christians, but they, 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 there's actually a heresy that is still alive today. It's known as Gnosticism. The idea is that the only things of the Spirit Things that are not flesh, so the soul, the spirit, the mind, um, not the brain and the body, that those are the things that matter to God. And the things of the flesh don't. And there's been different, different variations of that. There's been the, um, the, the libertines who are like, look, God's forgiven us. He sent the son. Everything's good. So it, there's nothing that we can do that can mess that up. So whatever we do with our body, just do it. It's okay. If it feels good, do it. 
In fact, let's celebrate us doing things that God would say no to, but we're going to do anyway because it really doesn't have any impact on the spirit, on, the, on, on, on salvation, because it, it's, it's of the flesh. Now, we still have that today. People, people will, will look at the world and they'll go, okay, God is, God is accepting, God is this, God is that, God is love, God is, God is, God is, God is. So it doesn't matter what we do because God has to forgive me. God looks at you, looks at me and says, I love you and I accept you just the way you are. And he does, but he wants to change you. He wants to change me. He loves me just the way I am, but he will not leave me that way. We have this sense sometimes, I'm not saying you, I'm saying we in the Western culture, that the only thing that matters to God are the spiritual things. But this passage tells us that all things, God left nothing that is not subject to Christ. Now, this is the already not yet. We, the, the kingdom has been inaugurated, but we don't see it all. We don't see the meek inheriting the earth. We don't see the lion laying down with the lamb. We don't see, it's not all done. But what Christ did when he came, and he, and he it says right here that he, he, he took the sting out of death and he beat the one that holds control of death, the devil. He, now the devil is not given free reign. He's now under Christ. And he only ha- the only thing that happens from him and his minions in this er- on this earth are things that God allows. And yes, it is tough to respond to God allows things that he could prevent. One of those things that he could prevent is suffering. But he doesn't. Not always. And he made his son, in the words of the author of Hebrews, he made his son perfect through suffering. He took the sacrifice, he took the the offering as payment in full for the debt we owe. But I want to remind all of us, it's hard to be reminded of this this week, that it's, it's easy to start thinking that God, the only things under Christ, the only things that he actually has lordship over, no one would say it out loud, but this is kind of how we behave sometimes, are the spiritual things. But it says here that he left nothing that isn't subjected to Jesus because Jesus subjected himself to all of it and he conquered it all. He was tempted and he didn't give in. He suffered and he didn't act in wrath. He took the wrath of God, which is our just punishment, on himself so that you, me, we don't have to pay the debt we owe. And what is the debt? What do we, actually, it's what we earn. The wages of sin is death. There is nothing in this world that is not spiritual. Not one thing. If the Holy Spirit of God was sent to us after Jesus' ascension, so he was sent to us at Pentecost, and he lives within us, and we're told that our world, the Christian Reformed Church, I, gave, I made a little joke about the garage last week. Um, I, I mean it all in good fun. But the Christian Reformed Church has a confession that we don't have. In the Reformed Church or the Alliance of Reformed Churches, the Presbyterians don't have it. It's called the Contemporary Testimony. Its title is, Our World Belongs to God. There is nothing in this world that you experience that is not spiritual. See, the, 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 the anthropology, so the study of humanity in Scripture, does not separate what we believe and how we behave. 
It does not separate. It does say them all, you know, love the Lord your God with everything they have, you know, uh, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, that it's all the same. You are your spirit. You are your soul. You are your mind. You are your strength. You are your flesh. God does not, he, one day will we be with Jesus, not in body until the resurrection of all? Sure. But right now you are body, mind, and spirit. There is no separation. If you look in the, in the, in the writings of John, the, the apostle John, both, both in the, um, in the gospel according to John and one, two, and three John, and even in Revelation, there is no separation. And if there is no separation between my body and my soul, then there is nothing that I do believe, say in any way that I behave that is not, does not have spiritual consequence, both on the righteous end and on the unrighteous end. And according to scripture, those are the only two ends. There are two types of people. Soren Kierkegaard says, the sinners who think they're righteous and the righteous who know they're sinners. God subjected to the son everything. Money, the body politic, the environment, pain, dis-ease, hatred, discord, strife, lust, jealousy, empathy, sympathy, love, joy, peace, patience, the worst of humanity and the best of humanity is all beholding to Christ. And there's nothing that you or I do, there's nothing that you or I think that we get to say, well, the devil made me do it, or it's just things of the flesh, it doesn't really matter. He is Lord over all things. And because he is Lord over all things, all things are important. All things matter. All things are spiritual. Now, in the past, when I was younger, I did say to people that everything in the world is spiritual except for 10 things. And that's why we have the 10 commandments. Don't do those things. Um, and those are ill-advised things to do. That's why it's you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. But it's more than that. If Jesus came, as, if the son became Jesus and he lived for 33 years on the face of this planet and became everything that humanity is. We're told in John 14 that the word became flesh. That word is sarks. And that means everything that is human. So he didn't just, he didn't just appear to be human. He didn't just put skin on. We talk about it that way sometimes, but he is fully God and fully human. Why? Well, this chapter spells it out, but the why is because he wants, in, in some way, he wants to communicate to his children, to those who bear his image, that there is nothing that you experience. There is nothing on this planet. There is nothing that is not of consequence. That means what you look at on your screens. That means how you talk about things. That means how you curse the television when the wrong political person's up on, up on the screen. It's that you and I can get, because someone keeps harming us, betraying us. All of it matters. 
and it mattered to him when he was walking this planet. What did he do? Those who were religious snobs, he called them out. Those who are trying to capitalize on the spiritual, he flipped the tables. And those who were the dregs, those who were cast off, those who who no one wanted to be around, those who if they touched them would make this person spiritually unclean, he went straight to them and touched them, spoke to them, treated them with dignity and respect. And how did he make it so that those people and the religious snobs and everyone between, how did he make it so that they're right with God? Scripture says it right here. He is the atonement for sin. He, through his suffering, him being the son of man, him walking, living the perfect human life, him taking on all of our sin and not behaving in a wrathful way on the cross, but actually asking the Father, forgive those people that are doing this this to me because they don't really know what's going on. They know not what they do. He defeated the enemy of God by allowing the enemy of God to kill him on my behalf. This is an upside down. If you're looking at it logically and you don't believe in the scriptures, that is absolute absurdity. That the God of the universe became a person, be like me becoming a dog to train my neighbor's dog not to do what it does in my yard sometimes. I'm not going to become a dog. I can't become a dog. But if I did, I'm making myself lower. God made himself lower not only only than himself, not only lower than the created beings that are purely spirit, angels, but he made himself even lower than humanity when he, from lower than adults, when he became an infant helpless child who couldn't see further than 18 inches in front of his face could not speak a word. The one who spoke the universe into existence was unable to articulate a word as an infant. The one who we are all dependent on became dependent on a 13-year-old girl who'd never kissed a boy. That is how God flipped the world upside down. That is how God decided to make all things subject to him. They've always been subject to him. I'm not saying that, but, but in our experience, we don't ever have to believe or think or, or, even, or even hang on to in any way that, that something on this earth doesn't matter, that my pain doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters to God. It matters enough that he suffered pain so that he can identify with you. Not that he couldn't do it anyway, but so that we know that he understands temptation. He understands pain. He understands what it means to be tired. I don't know this for sure because it's not represented in the scriptures, but my guess is that Jesus got sick because he suffered as all humans suffer. There is nothing that he did not make subject to Jesus. And that means you. You are a subject of the King of Kings. He calls you brother or sister. He says that you're part of the family. Have you ever been an honorary member of a family? My former church, there was a, one of the founding, and the church is 150 years old now, I think, but 
there was a, a, a member, a family there that had been part of that church generationally since its inception. There, this family was, was a family of what we call, what we've called here charter members. Um, and there was a funeral for someone in that family who had passed. And I just walked up, because I know them well, I walked up to just shake their hand at the funeral and say, I'm, I'm so sorry, I wasn't ordained at the time. And they said, you sit here. I won't use their name. But you're a member of this family. You're, you are a Johnson. That's not it. I, I didn't know what to do. I did sit with them. But the whole time I'm like, I, I'm going to fail these people. I don't have their history. I don't have their lineage. But they, they honored me by saying to me that I'm one of them. You realize that that's what God has done with you? That the Trinity, the perichoretical relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the loving, non-competitive, always looking for the other to benefit, that relationship, it's one, one God, but three. They, not saying that God is three, the Father, Son, and Spirit, through the person of Jesus, through the atonement and the suffering, instead of offering something up to be an atonement for sin, he offered himself up so that all sin is atoned for. He says to you, you're part of my family. You matter so much that I will sacrifice on your behalf. You are so valuable to me that you can never do anything to make it so that you're no longer part of my family. It's not up to you. It's up to him. Now, are we warned here? We should pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. That's not for God's benefit. That's for ours. And yeah, if an angel shows up and tells you something, if it aligns with Scripture, then it came from God. But the things we know from, from the New Testament came from God's own mouth. The, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the story of the living Word of God speaking what He wants us to know, encouraging us, convicting us, confronting us, calling us to repent, dying for us so that we become brothers, sisters, part of the family. And Jesus is one of us and he teaches us how to praise the one in heaven. Does that matter to you? It should matter when I'm on the Mactawa River on Friday with my friend Glenn Brunsting, who has a cousin that goes here, I believe. He's in from California. We're fishing four hours, one bass. And then he's not real good at it, so he's throwing a spinning rod and he gets caught up. <laughs> Bark and tree limbs and bugs all over my boat. Cottonwood's terrible right now. I start getting internally. <sighs> I'm picking my friend fishing. Never crossed my mind. This is a moment that the God of the universe has ordained for me and my friend Glenn. I should be, I should be embracing it. I should be thinking how, how wonderful it is that I have such resources that I can have a friend make it here from California, want to spend a day with me, get to take him fishing on a muddy river 
with too much cottonwood, but I'm out in the sun and it's not 48 degrees anymore. I should have been just, oh, it's such a joy to take my boat over, climb through some limbs of a tree, try not to hit the rocks to get his lure out. But that's not what was going on in my head. Why use that silly illustration? Because those things matter. They are all subject to Christ. Everything, not just the spiritual things, not just the physical things, all of it. How you think, what you do, how you speak, what you get frustrated with, whom, with whom you get frustrated, your money, your house. Not sure if crabgrass in your lawn counts. There is nothing that Jesus is not Lord over. Nothing. Do we act as if that's true? I don't know. I don't know. I think we should. But I don't know if it's on our mind all the time. When Paul talks about praying unceasingly, that doesn't mean that I should be doing this all the time. It means that I should be in a perpetual conversation with God, asking him to show me how this little stupid thing matters to him because he tells us it does. Now, we're going to do something that's kind of silly if you just think about it in an irreligious way. We're going to take some bread, a little cube, we're going to put it in our mouth, and we're going to take a tiny little bit of grape juice, boom, and we're going to say, God is in that. That's absurd from the outside. In fact, the early church got grief for having, um, they, 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 were, they were considered cannibals because they ate and drank the body and blood of Jesus. They weren't actually eating body and blood, but there's something that happens in this moment that is holy because all things are subjected to Christ. All things are under him. Everything is at his foot, at his feet, everything. God made it sure to us that all things matter. So when Pastor Kurt goes through the liturgy, when he's communicating what we say this means, keep in mind, please, one thing, that God uses the ordinary to represent the extraordinary. This is just juice. It's just bread. But oh, is there something? And I think God's intent was that I'm going to something that everybody sees all the time, bread, something that has been part of human history for as long as we've had human history, wine, juice, fruit of the vine, I'm going to make those things that are so ordinary, I'm going to make them extraordinary. And I think it's a way of communicating to you and I that I am an ordinary person. You are an ordinary person. You have an ordinary life. And God is an extraordinary God who will, who will use your ordinary life to do extraordinary things if we just realize that we are his subjects. Let's pray. Bless you, Lord, our God, for being our atonement, for being our high priest, for being our king, for being our resurrection, for being our life. Lord, today, when we receive that which you offer to us, I pray that you remind us that the ordinary to you is actually extraordinary. We are ordinary people. We serve an extraordinary God. 
but you want to make ordinary people extraordinary by using us to accomplish your will on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.